0: If you would, remain standing and pray briefly with me. Our glorious God and Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, Your Word is glorious to us, Lord, and we have considered this doctrine of charity this morning already. And now, as we have already discussed, doctrine is wonderful and it is glorious, and we love that You have opened the truth of Your Word to us. And we ask now, Lord, that you will open our hearts to receive this idea, this concept that you have given us called charity, which is so much more than doctrine and goes beyond teaching. It goes beyond a a knowledge and an understanding and moves us to action. Lord, help us to be moved to action this day, that we might be converted in our spirits, in our minds, that we might know and examine our hearts and see those dark recesses, those corners where we have hidden away and, and have excused ourselves and thought that we have somehow arrived or achieved perfection. Lord, we know if our brother Paul, the great apostle, said he had not yet attained, then we assuredly have not yet attained that perfection. Right. Let us humble ourselves before thy holy word and go forward with the knowledge and understanding and judgment according to thy word in charity. It is in the blessed and precious name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and ours, that we pray these things. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Thank you. We will now go to that chapter famed for charity, 1 Corinthians 13. If you uh, would like to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, it's probably where we'll stay. Unlike the first uh, sermon where we were all over the New Testament, our purpose is, and I've got a lot of God's Word here in front of me that I'm going to point to, uh, but our purpose here is to lift up the gem, the diamond, if you will, of charity and examine all of its facets, examine each aspect of what charity is, and most importantly, not just gain an intellectual understanding of what charity is, but let's take that aspect of charity that we're going to look at one at a time and think about how we can do that. How do we do charity, if you will? How do we take this knowledge that we've just learned and our, hopefully, our conviction from the first sermon about our, the importance of practicing charity one to another and actually work it out in our day to day lives, both here in the church, in the gathering of the church and in our families and in our workplaces and in the rest of the world that we are in. The second greatest commandment is charity. Right. Right. The Lord gave us a couple of tables of stone, gave it to Moses, delivered to us, that had ten commandments in it. The Lord Jesus Christ, when questioned by a less than honorable uh, scribe or Pharisee or lawyer, said, you know what? What's the greatest commandment? What is it that we should do? The, the Lord was—I I can see Him without hesitation. Well, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Right. Amen. He didn't stop. I don't think He paused at all. And the second is like unto it: to love your neighbor as yourself. Those few words, "Love your neighbor as yourself." Of course, we can—we can go into the uh, the knowledge of finding out what's my neighbor and. The scoffing question that was asked by the one, well, how can I limit this? Because that's a broad, that's a broad term. How do I, how do I reel this into something I can manage and try to, to limit who my neighbor is? Or, um, why is, why is it that it's uh, being called out to love my neighbor as myself? Well, we know the answer to that. We've been taught well the answer to that. You already love yourself. You don't need to be taught that. You were born loving yourself. I've got a, a little baby. He's almost one years old already. Uh, boy, does he love himself. He, he's loved himself from the moment he was born. I didn't have to teach him that. And he lets his mom and I know and his sisters and brothers that he loves himself any chance that he gets. He's probably telling whoever's watching him now that he loves himself. We don't need to be taught how to love ourselves, but we can take that knowledge that we already have in our character and turn it on its head and love others in that same passion and zeal we have for our own selves and our own flesh. So we want, from the first sermon, we want to grow in brotherly love more and more. And I talked to a brother between services and You know, we get, we get this feeling that we've made it. We've, we've ruled this aspect in our lives and we love other people. And we really love to come to church every Sunday and slap each other on the back and greet each other with warm smiles. And we love them and we're cheerful with them and it's, it's wonderful to sit and we've got great harmony and there's just so many aspects of being in the Lord's house with His people that are wonderful. But then the Word of the Lord is brought as a big light. As a, as a beaming light shining into our lives and we start to examine ourselves a little more in these dark recesses of our corners of our heart and we wonder and we are convicted that we are not yet ready to declare victory when it comes to charity. Right. And so our purpose today is to look at charity, see what it looks like, get stirred up about it because it's exciting. Right. To do this is the will of the Lord. Amen. If you want to do the will of the Lord... You want to do it with zeal. And so this is an aspect of of the Lord's will. I don't think you can be overzealous in love. If somebody says, whoa, back off, you're being way too charitable, let me know. Because <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. That's right. Uh, but let's get practical with it. Let's take the the knowledge that we've had and bring it down here into the way that we can put it into action. In 1 Corinthians 13, I hope you read it last night. We're not going to read it, uh, and I'm going to focus only on verses 4 through 7 As a tool that we can use to look at each of these little aspects. And, and you'll find, as I already mentioned earlier, there's a lot of, of seemingly repetitious synonyms in this that we'll look at and consider. So looking at, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the first aspect of charity, and I'll, I'll just give a little reminder before we dive right into it. Remember, Paul, in the context here, has taken a break from from talking about the uh, spiritual gifts in in 12 and he'll talk again about the spiritual gifts in 14 to remind them these are great things and in fact we're reminded elsewhere that even the the gift of being an apostle is a tremendous thing but Paul says I'll show you a more excellent way in Amen. verse what is that 31 I show you uh, I show unto you a more excellent way verse 31 of chapter 12 even the gifts of apost- of, a, of the apostleship of the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean of the, of the uh, Apostle Paul, pales in comparison to charity. So if you earnestly desire the best gifts, this is the best gift, right. charity. You, th- it's the best gift you can give to yourself, since you already want to do things well for yourself, but it's also the best gift that you can give to your brother or sister that's sitting beside you. Let's start at verse uh, 4 with charity, and this is a list of the things that charity is. And also, it's a, let me point out, you know, it is a, a personification of charity. So we have it in, in words, charity suffereth long. Of course, charity can't suffer. It's a, it, charity's a concept. Charity suffereth long. So I'm gonna, when I'm speaking of these terms, I will probably sw- switch back and forth between this is what you should do and this is what it is. So just know that I'm talking about and putting it in the context of this personification. Long suffering. What is it? Long-suffering, the word suffering, we relate to pain. And that's right. It's right to relate suffering to pain. It's When you have pain, you're suffering through it. Suffering also allows continuing in pain because really, especially in the old King James word that's used for that, we don't use it quite that way that much anymore, it means to allow. So when Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me, he didn't mean hurt them and make them come to me. He meant, you know, suffer, allow them. Take a little pain to yourself in that it annoys you that these little kids are going to come to me. He's telling his disciples, suffer them to come to me. That's what long suffering is. The long being the emphasis about the, it's not just a, okay, we'll put up for this for about 10 minutes and then we'll move on. It's really long suffering. Love always, love always includes suffering. If you think that young people, if you think you're going to get married and it's going to be perfect from that day forward, I'm sorry. It's not. Love always includes suffering. And so we, of course, when we get together as a body, let alone in the closeness, close unity of marriage, when we get together as a body of Christ, we're close. We're compact together. We're joints fitly joined together. So of course, we're going to have pain involved in those as well. And I'm not talking about pain in joints, but that does work pretty well. Uh, repeated for emphasis often in this in this list of things that we see are related to long suffering. So we start with long suffering. I'm going to be long on long suffering. I hope you'll be long suffering with me as I describe more about long suffering. When we get to it, synonyms later, I won't be as long. You should note that uh, Proverbs 10:12 says, "Hatred stirreth up strifes. Hatred stirs up strifes. If you have strifes in your life in this church, hatred is what stirs it up. But love, charity." covereth all sins. Strifes are are not sins against God. And and when we're talking about sins in the context of this this proverb, we're talking about those offenses, those small sins, as you relate it to uh, the the ideas of church discipline, small sins between men, not sins against God. We're not covering any sins or advocating the covering of sins against God. But we have offenses one to another that occur. Uh, In James 4, which we read earlier, we were admonished from James that we shouldn't be earthly and sensual. But in the first of that chapter, he says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? It's the lust of our flesh that brings up pride in our hearts and causes us to have strife. All of that can be stopped or diminished greatly with long suffering because you're going to be on the receiving end of that sometimes when one of our brothers or our sisters fail to rule their spirits, which they will, just as we do. You can end strife and end all strife and create peace by being long-suffering, by waiting and leaving and not being offended quickly at all with the offense that your brother or sister has committed. So long-suffering is a key element to charity. Waiting patiently to let, you know, and maybe you're like this. Maybe you need to count to ten if you uh, are quickly angered, and we'll get to that in a minute. But maybe you need to count to ten. Maybe you need to count to a hundred. But the idea of the word long in there is put it off, delay it, be patient, wait for it, and let it go. The next (coughs) way that we will look at charity is that it is kind. Charity is kind. The word kind, we we sort of almost, and when I read this, I sometimes I kind of gloss over kind. Kind is sort of an ambiguous term. What does it mean? Kindness is affectionate, benevolent, gentle, and sympathetic treatment of others. By definition, so we are to be affectionate. We're to have affection for the object of our charity or kindness. Benevolence is. Always thinking the best and wanting to do the best for the object of our charity. Gentleness and sympathy toward that, uh, that person with whom we are being charitable. We have some examples. For instance, the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31 has several aspects of her that are brought up as being, uh, kind. For instance, in verse 12 of Proverbs 31, she does her husband good and not evil. That is a kindness. It's a kindness toward her, to her, her husband. And of course evil we can, i mean we can think of evil in the in the worst terms and and wickedness and so forth but evil is something that her husband wouldn't rather she didn't do perhaps it may just be preferential in nature and not a not certainly not a sin or wickedness and so she does her husband good and evil considers his ways and that is a kindness to him in verse 20 she takes action to help those who are in need we Often think, and Brother Charlie mentioned to me, one aspect of charity compared to brotherly kindness is the way that we typically use charity in, in our, uh, language today. And that is to, to be charitable to someone or to give to the poor and the needy. And that's an aspect of charity. Well, certainly the, uh, the woman of Proverbs 31 was charitable in that respect in that she helped those that were in need around her. And the other is the law of kindness being in her mouth. In verse 26, she has the law of kindness in her mouth. So the words that you use are indicative of kindness as well. So kindness has a broad implication. Like long-suffering being that thing that you do to sort of overlook all the, the actions of others around you, kindness is an activity that you do to smooth out and make things better with those that are around you. Kindness is um, especially found in the lips. We, we find in the Proverbs oftentimes... Admonitions, wisdom to apply our lips to things that will be for our benefit and our blessing. So much so that we can even win kings. Righteous lips are the delight of kings. Our, our government can be delighted in the things that we say. Or our government, our king, we don't have a, a true king, but our government can actually be quite offended by the things that we say. And it's a virtue in our culture today to say things against our government. So we have um, kindness that we can show toward our government in that we pray for them. That would probably shock most of them, that we would pray for them. But also in that we only speak those things that are kind, and we can win the hearts of kings. <clears throat> the rest of that proverb is, and they love him that speaketh right. Kings love us if we speak right. And so, too, if, if we can persuade the hearts of kings, and if you forget about our government and think about real kings... And think about the power that they held in their hand and the power that Nebuchadnezzar had over Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to throw them into the fiery furnace or that he was enamored with Daniel because he spoke with kindness on his lips. You see the persuasion there that set Daniel in essentially second in command throughout Babylon because of the kindness of his lips. Kindness is a powerful, powerful tool that we can utilize As we exercise charity. Something that's important, and this is a kindness as well, and it applies in other areas, is kindness communicates itself to others. I should say love through kindness communicates itself to others. So it's nice that you do things in order to let people know that you care for them and that you're affectionate toward them, but you also say it. And i I, I hope that uh, I've never actually thought or done this, but perhaps this will remind you of something uh, that you've heard in the world before or perhaps from others is when we're being admonished to remember to tell our wives that we love them. You know, honey, I told you when we got married that I loved you, and if it ever changes, I'll let you know. This is the way men think. The same is true for our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Tell them about your affection for them. Right. We have some... uh we have a couple and a family in our church who are, um, you, you all know them, and we only have one other couple besides us. In our, no, two there's two others, sorry. Uh, so, sorry, Ryan and Sarah, when you watch this, I, I wasn't meaning to forget you were a couple. But uh, our brother Joshua and sister Natalie, many or most of you may know them, they like to say, I like you, and they do it a lot in, and to each other and to other people that they uh, are around. I, you know, I like you. That's an affirming, great thing to say. It's a kindness. I never get annoyed with them when they say, I I like you. It may seem strange. It's not something that most people uh, do on a day-to-day basis, but I never feel uh, put out or offended by it. Uh, In fact, when they say it, I'm lifted up and I'm joyful about it because they've said it. So we verbalize it. In fact, Jesus himself was very good at affirming and confirming his love for his apostles, his disciples. He right. said in John fifteen fifteen, "...Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you." The Lord Jesus Christ condescended to his pitiful disciples, I say with all due respect, and said, "'You're my friends.'" And sometimes we think with friends like that, who needs enemies? But the the issue here is that, look at the Lord of glory condescended, and you've just heard this recently, he condescended to these men, these fishermen, who had not yet received the gift of the Holy Spirit completely in their lives, and he said, you're my friends, and I call you friends. And elsewhere, he called them brothers. He verbalized it. Kindness is to verbalize your love for others. Another form of kindness is our bowels of compassion. Not a word we hear used with regard to love anymore, but it's used a lot in the Bible. Bowels of compassion are those inner feelings that we have towards someone. And I mentioned earlier my uh, resistance and, and hatred of effeminacy. And bowels of mercy and empathy, gentlemen, If in case you're the ones that are are, pro, are uh, have a proclivity to not having bowels of mercies, Bowels of mercies is not effeminate. Having bowels of mercies is godliness. Amen. Having having compassion and empathy is godliness. We have reason to have tender mercies toward our, our the ones we love. We read earlier in Colossians 3, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind. So compassion and empathy are a component of kindness. How can you have compassion? And I mentioned this earlier, so I'm not going to belabor it. There was an example of compassion when there was a a memorial service and a funeral held held here a few weeks ago. When you see tears streaming down people's faces, uh, they may have some personal loss, but oftentimes it's because they know and empathize with the pain of those that have lost a loved one that they're going through. And so empathy is feeling other people's feelings with them. That may seem strange to us intellectually, but the reality is it gives great comfort to those who are in that situation, and it also gives a connection with us to the ones suffering that pain, or and especially if we've gone through it before. And so that's why you find children and young people, if you haven't experienced a lot of pain, loss, suffering in your life yet... You will over time. And so if you see the olders, older ones of us with more tears in our eyes, it's simply because we can empathize more because of the experiences we've already had in our lives. Right. Empathy grows with time and your ability to empathize grows with experience. These feelings, these tender feelings that we have are, are very important. You know, I mentioned Colossians 3 in, uh, in Genesis. Joseph made haste. Because his bowels yearned upon his brother when he saw Benjamin. Remember, Joseph had been gone, had been in Egypt, had been sold into slavery. He finally saw his brother Benjamin after all those years, because the brothers brought him the second time, and his bowels of uh, his bowels did yearn upon him. It was a great desire. In First uh, Kings three twenty six, when Solomon made the wise decision about uh, who, who which woman got the baby. The one that, uh, that whose bowels uh, yearned upon her son made the decision to give the son away rather than see him be cut in half. That was the proof Solomon needed, but the point was that it was her emotional attachment to that child which brought forth the love that she had. And so this is the characteristic of, of, of bowels of mercies and bowels of compassion and, and feeling one for another. Song of Solomon we've heard lately, uh, a few times as we've considered in chapter 5, our um, our Lord Jesus Christ and the love games that are described in Song of Solomon chapter 5 when he reached his hand in through the door and the uh, Shunamite woman says, my bowels were moved for him. She is uh, emotionally, just seeing her, his hand come in, she's anticipating and excited about being with him and her bowels, her her emotions were provoked because of that. I've got other examples. We'll move on. But the, the emotional aspect of kindness and charity is important. And I'm emphasizing it primarily because of my own shortcomings, and in case anybody uh, that is hearing me also needs that reminder. You know, love also shows kind affection. So it's another, This is in our maybe incorrect macho understanding of manliness, is somehow we don't show affection, and that's some form of manliness. Again, it is not. We don't want effeminacy. We want Bible manliness. We want to be men like the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul. Be kindly affectioned one to another, Paul wrote to the Romans, with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. If you want to show kind affection, prefer one another. If you're in a crowd of, of people, and this happens occasionally, I'm sure, and you see a brother, run up to that brother and give him a hug in front of everybody. Make everybody squirm a little bit, right? And and say, hey, brother, I had an opportunity to be in a in a mixed environment, and uh, and I called a sister who was not my my biological sister a sister. And the person sitting beside me said, "This is your sister." And I said, well, "Yes, she's my sister in the Lord." That ended the conversation. No further questions. <laughs> but you know, when you proclaim your affection for someone, I mean, you do proclaim your affection for someone when you call them brother or sister. And, and we may be somewhat too used to it. You know what I mean? Uh, certainly, I don't think you're calling anybody at work necessarily brother or sister. But if somebody you work with is from your church and you call them brother or sister, that's probably going to... Somebody's going to hear that and know. And to me, it makes me feel good to be called that because someone has said, you're my brother and I'm going to proclaim that to the world and the, all these worldings that are around me. So show your affection. That is a Kindness. And kind affection seizes opportunities to do good. When you see something that can be good towards someone else, you seize upon it. I think there's a sermon going playing in, on a tape right now back in St. Louis that you heard two weeks ago, and you mentioned earlier, brother, about um, about finding opportunities to do good. It remind me what it, the liberal heart, heart deviseth liberal things and giveth liberally. Right? You've heard that recently seize the opportunities to do good. Right. I, This church has done that a few times to me, and it was a shock the first time because this doesn't happen in in other churches and, and with other people. I mentioned, and I share this only with you because it is an example of unexpected liberality. I mentioned to Brother Jonathan several years ago that I was so excited about some work that my wife was doing in the garden, and I saw her out there laboring really hard, and so I went to the, uh, store and I saw it was on sale and I bought it and it was only X dollars. And, uh, I only mentioned that because it was such a good deal. And the next thing I know, there's a check delivered by hand by a brother in St. Louis that said, here, this pays for your tiller. And we just wanted to, to bless you with that. That's a liberal heart devising liberally. I didn't, I would have not thought of that to my shame. And maybe you didn't think of it either, but whoever did, did that on your behalf and gave us a gift, and that is an, a, a, an affection I have for you all, whether you knew it or not, uh, because of that liberal heart. That is a demonstration of Christian charity, not because I was, in, I was poor and needy and I was a charity case and needed a tiller. I'd already bought it, but because of the affection that it shows and communicates. That's what we want to communicate with each other. And you know what? If you can't see, if you can't, um, take the opportunity, the, the example was Luke 11 where, you know, if a, if a father asks for a fish, you're not gonna give him a stone, right? So, if somebody comes and asks you for something, you'll give them what they ask because you're, you're affectionate. You're, you're seizing the opportunity to do good. But you may need to create opportunities to do good. They may not ask you. Your father in heaven knoweth what things you need of before ye ask him and you know what some people or some person needs before they even ask you. You can know if you observe and you know them well enough. Take the opportunity and do it for them. Don't wait for them to ask you. Charity goes beyond waiting for someone to ask you to do something for them, and it looks for ways to do it. This is a practical way to be kind and charitable to others. Don't squirm too much. I'm squirming too. We don't remember to do these things. That's why we're being reminded today. I'll go back to what I said earlier this morning. This is a reminder. It's not an accusation. It's an opportunity for us to sharpen ourselves to do better so that we can go more and more. How are we supposed to run the race if we're sitting on the sideline? Get back on the track if you fell down and you fell into the, into the lane next to you. Jump up and start running again. It's an opportunity to build, build ourselves up in the knowledge and the love of Jesus Christ. Love would never cause any trouble to anybody, and if it did, it would go and correct it quickly. So it is a kindness to, if you mess up, and you will, you offend somebody and you know it, go quickly and uh, and take care of it. We had earlier read, uh, in Matthew 5. It's a great place. There's others examples of it. It's only a couple of verses here I'm going to read to you. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there be, re- and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Right. If you're going to come and you're going to Partake of the Lord's table, perhaps, and you've got ought against your brother. You may not do that. But that's not the primary context of that. The point is, comparing our religious uh, duties one, uh, to the Lord, it's most important that we make sure that we are quickly taking care of any offenses we have with our brothers because that is our religious duty. That is how we serve and honor the Lord is by quickly taking care of an offense that we may have with a brother. So take care of it quickly. I told you about this earlier, so I'm going to just touch this. It's kindness and charity that always treats the objects of that charity with uh, politeness and courtesy. Polite and courteous action is a loving action towards those that are around you. We talked about that a little more at length this morning. Sometimes it's more important to show merciful tenderness Rather than reproof, and again we talked briefly about this this morning. But and this may be for us uh, re- really zealous dads who who are um, trying to practice as much as we can all the wisdom of Solomon in training our children and using the rod of correction effectively and doing it well. That we need to have mercy on our children as well. And I think Brother Jonathan reminded the men of that uh, recently. Paul said in First Corinthians four twenty one, What will ye? Shall I come unto you with the rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? That wasn't an ultimatum necessarily, but what he was saying is, yes, I'm saying some difficult things to you. I'm reproving you. But do you want me to come with the rod at you, which is which is a stark, difficult correction? Or can I come in the spirit of meekness and just gently correct you and you receive it even though it's gentle? Because you're ready to receive it because you've already trained yourself to know, I want to be corrected. I want to have my brother come to me and not be afraid to correct me and not have to use a rod in order to get me to wake up to the sin or the the error that I'm in. And so sometimes it's, it's good to show merciful tenderness rather than reproof. Sometimes reproof and sometimes even strong reproof or rebuke is needed if you're like me, you need to err on the side of charity. I I talked about the hammer and sickle earlier. Love and charity will want to show charity, charitable giving, and hospitality, and these are acts of kindness as well. And love certainly, and kindness knows the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Right. It's really easy to know what it is that you would like others to do to you because that's the complaint that you would have in the darkness of your heart. Hopefully you're not verbalizing it and you're correcting yourself in your thoughts. But if you say, why isn't sister so-and-so doing this kindness to me? You already know the answer is that why aren't you doing that for sister so-and-so and everybody else? Those thoughts turn on their heads and go out and do the golden rule. Right. Now you're going to think we're going to be here all afternoon if he goes this slow through the other aspects Don't worry, those two were the long ones. Now we're going to touch on the rest of them quickly because they're very similar and there's also some short lessons in them. That was long-suffering and kindness. Summed up, really, charity, long-suffering, overlooking others, and kindness, doing good to others. That's it. They're they're summed up in those two, and now we're going to work it out a little bit more. Right back to chapter verse 4 in chapter 13. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not... Here's an aspect of uh, long suffering, really. Envy is the hostile feeling or resentment for the superior advantages of someone else. If somebody else has an advantage over you, is superior to you in some aspect, and you wish that you had that, or you resent them for having that, that's envy. But charity's not envious. Charity looks instead, sees the advantages of others, and blesses the God of heaven for making a difference. And realizes, God, I'm thankful you bless that person with that aspect, that personality, that whatever, that ability that they have, the money that they have, whatever it is, the family. You bless them with that. Thank you, Lord, because they're an important part of the body. If we were all big toes, we wouldn't be much of a body. We're not all heads. We're not, you know that lesson. That's what charity says. It doesn't envy. Right. Remember Jacob loved Joseph more than he loved his other sons. And it created a tremendous amount of strife. The Bible doesn't fault Jacob for loving Joseph more. He should have. Joseph had superior character to his brothers. Right. It was shown throughout his life. He always had superior character to his brothers. But it caused great envy and strife. We as as uh, children of God don't look at Joseph and say, and well maybe some godly emulation, right? We want to be like Joseph in many ways, but not not for envy and not because we want him to be put down or that we uh, we resent him, but rather we look at him and say, Thank you, Lord, for the characters of Joseph that we want to be like. Uh, sometimes envy is known as emulation. And I just said that. It, good emulation, meaning you want to mimic or do the things that are good that you see in others. Bad emulation is when you try to do something uh, as a as a form of one-upmanship. And you see this a lot with children who are constantly correcting themselves or among themselves and, and coming up with, I know more than you because I'm going to correct you about this little detail that you lost. We can do the same thing, and that's emulation, which is a form of envy. You want to fix envy? You want to avoid envy? Then esteem others better than yourself. Right. If you esteem them when they're better than you, then you know that they're better than you for God's glory. Because you are somehow diminished. And in fact, you help build your own spirit up because you can see that they are, um, they are children of the Lord that God made a difference in that they, that He gave that gift to so that they could be a different part of the body than you are. And then you can rejoice and say, thank you, Lord, for that difference. So esteem others better than yourself. That's Philippians 2. I, I quoted as a, I won't call it a rabbit, as a, as a sidebar. I quoted this verse to my child once in front of my aunt, uh, who is one of those um, that goes or that, that grew up in the Quaker church that I told you about earlier. And I quoted, uh, as I do sometimes, if there's a little striving, uh, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And I could have gone on, but that's all I said. Later, she wrote me an email or a, uh, a message and said, what was that verse? That you quoted to—I think I don't remember if it was Bethany or, or which one it was—that I was correcting because that was new to her; she hadn't heard that. Don't let these verses that we all know and maybe can trip off the tongue become boring to you right. and forgetting those words and what they really mean. Let each my—but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. That ends all envy. You've just become a charity expert. Esteem others better than yourself, and you will always be charitable. Let's go on to the next one. We had long-suffering. We had kindness. We had envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Strange word. Don't hear it much in the vernacular today. Vaunting yourself is boasting, bragging, or commending by either speech or action. Boasting, bragging, we hear a lot of it. We just don't call it vaunting. Um, Arrogant assertion. Uh, or pre- presumed superiority or ability. God took away men from Gideon, and He kept peeling men away from Gideon until there were only a few so that they wouldn't think that they were the ones that overpowered the enemy. That's right. God did that to, to so that they wouldn't. He said, in fact... Um, the, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. That's right. So that's what vaunting is, thinking, thinking too highly of yourself and putting yourself forward. Um, you want to cure vaunting? Then promotion of others is the cure to that. Where envy can be cured by esteeming others, uh, if you want to do the opposite of vaunting, put others up. Put others up. You know, and, and it reminds me of our, um, it reminds me of our admonition to, uh, dress up the more uncomely members to make them more comely so that you can't tell that there's any that are different in the church. So you come alongside someone with differing gifts or differing abilities and you build them up and you, and you put them up in front of others. It's a great way to, uh, avoid vaunting yourself. Seek a lower position. This is a great lesson. I got embarrassed at a wedding one time uh, by this very thing, not because I sought a, a forward position, but because a friend of ours who was at the door seating people at the wedding didn't get the instructions, sent us forward, set us in a row that had already been reserved for somebody else, and in the middle of the wedding after it already got filled up, they had to come up and get us and move us to the back where, where we belonged. <laughs> we were friends, but I mean, I thought, wow, we're sitting way up here. Uh, just a mistake of a young man. But still, I knew this, I knew this lesson very well. I felt like uh, I had vaunted myself into that position and uh, had to be put back and put down. You know, God does make a difference uh, between men. And we should remember that there are differences between men and that in the, in society and in nature, there are those that are higher than we are. And we should have the proper decorum and respect and, and, and not a, Too much familiarity. But nevertheless, uh, to not vaunt yourself, seek a lower seat. Uh, There were a couple of examples, but for the sake of time, I'm going to pass over those. I think you know them well. Let others praise you and not you yourself. If you're praising yourself, you're vaunting yourself. If you're saying, oh, I did a great job at that. I, I don't know very many people that do that. Well, I do know a few. But the reality is that you're not really getting any praise anyway if you have to say it yourself. If you have to brag about it, everybody in the room is yawning, they because they, you know if you did something worthy of praise, they would have already heard about it. So why are you praising yourself? Right. Let others praise you. And by the way, if you want to, if you want to be avoiding uh, vaunting yourself, then seek to serve instead of to be served. Instead of seeking the service of others, serve others, and you won't be vaunting yourself because you're putting yourself down, as it were. You're putting yourself below them. We're going to move on to the next one. Charity suffereth long, is kind. It vaunteth not itself. It envieth not. It is not puffed up. We spent some time on being puffed up earlier, so I'm going to quickly go through this. It's the same thing as vaunting. It's mostly, though, about an attitude and a spirit rather than action, like boasting or whatever. But you can very easily prevent... Uh, uh, this and not being uh, puffed up by just putting yourself back down in that place, taking that lower position. It's very much like vaunting. But if you are puffed up, you're not going to be able to accommodate others. You won't. We won't have tolerance for them. Um, you won't be able to honor others like you should. You won't be able to admit your faults. You won't be able to seek forgiveness easily. And you won't be able to promise better conduct because being puffed up prevents all that. But if you're not puffed up, you can easily issue an apology because you know you're going to fall. You know you're going to make that error. You can easily uh, make changes in your conduct. You've got to get down, and it all comes back to that ruling and control of your thoughts and spirit. Right. We're going to move quickly through the rest of them. As I said, not unseemly is the next one. Unseemly is a is a bit of a vague word, and it's perhaps a little difficult to to nail down. But that's okay because you need to. Trust the wisdom of others, especially if you're younger. Trust the wisdom of those older than you. If somebody says to you, that's just unseemly, just agree with them, especially if they're a wise person in the Lord, because you may not understand why it's unseemly and it may be difficult to explain. Unseemliness is inappropriate, unfitting, unsuitable, and improper conduct for a particular occasion. Well, you may not know, and you can't really read a book on manners to get all those nuances that that occur about whether it's unseemly or not. Um, so trust those around you. But love, charity seeks to, um, to be proper in your behavior in every situation, whatever it is, because it puts everybody at ease. You know how that feeling is? If somebody does something a little awkward and it's a little inappropriate and you feel a little bit uneasy about what just happened or what you just heard or what you just said, that's unseemly. That's a, <laughs> That's how unseemliness comes about. The next one is not self-serving. Not serving yourself, um, which is seeketh not her own, is the way the King James Bible puts it. Not seeking your own. Love doesn't seek its own. Love is giving priority to and for others. Whatever it is, you prioritize their needs. You don't seek yourself. You don't seek the pleasure of And profit of yourself. Instead, you seek the pleasure and profit of those that are around you. Again, do the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. See how the repetition gets in here, and that's why I'm able to speed up. Not easily provoked is the next one. Love, charity is not easily provoked. It doesn't, it's related to long suffering. It tolerates much. It doesn't continue, it doesn't immediately react. Instead, it continues and waits and, and, uh, and is not easily an annoyed or angered it's it 's a matter of decision that you have to make ahead of time because if you wait until it happens you won 't do it you 'll fail so you choose to ahead of time that 's why James one nineteen right as it 's talking about our mouth and and ruling it. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath there 's a time for wrath, but you need to be slow to get there and this is what I'm not let 's see what topic are we on here? This is what uh, being not easily provoked is about it 's a it 's a quick uh, mar- it 's a quick reaction in wrath that marks a fool If you want to not be a fool, if you want to be a wise man don 't react quickly to to things that will stir up your anger. Love instead responds much differently than hatred, and we heard that uh, from Matthew chapter five. We also remember the, the proverb, if your enemy's hungry, give him bread, and if he's thirsty, give him water to drink because you heap coals of fire on his head. Don't worry about heaping coals of fire on his head, but you do that in order to not get angry quickly. And then you can know that the Lord blesses that and is pleased when you take that action. Here's a couple, uh, here's one that, uh, the next one, not thinking evil. That that is an important thing to help us rule our spirits when it is in that occasion where we need to be long-suffering. If you need a tool to take out of the chest for long-suffering so that you can be long-suffering, don't think evil. Right. Because the intentions and motivations of what someone said or did to you are unknown to you no matter what you think. You cannot truly know what their intentions or motivations were because you can't see into a man's heart. Only a man knows what's in his heart and the Lord. And so if you just assume that they were not trying to do something evil or, or hurt you in some way, it will make it much easier to be long-suffering because you realize they just made an error or you don't even think that way and you just assume the best. And we'll get into that in a minute. Don't let a man be an, offend, uh, an offense to you for a word. Right, right. It's from Isaiah 29, 20. You've heard your pastor quote it many times, 20 and 21. But, but the point is not to allow one little word that slipped out of somebody's mouth. And if you're standing here with a whole bunch of words, there's going to be a lot of stuff that slip, slips out. Don't, don't be offended. They didn't mean to, to say that. Assume the best about them and you will be ha- behaving charitably. Don't rejoice in iniquity. Don't rejoice when someone else sins. It's a terrible thing for you to think and do. If it comes up in your mind that you are excited that somebody else blew it, well, first of all, shame on you. And second of all, that's not charitable. Do not rejoice in iniquity, but instead rejoice in the truth. When someone learns the truth, is excited about the truth, speaks the truth to you even though you already knew it, they come to you and they say, Did you know that Jesus was the incarnate Son of God? and that I learned there's a difference between etern- the doctrine of eternal son, and you may know that, and it's ho-hum, I already know that. Rejoice in the truth. Right. That's charitable. Right. That builds up the body and makes people excited about sharing with one another. And have delight. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips the king shall be his friend. Love that pureness of heart. When somebody comes to you with a pure heart, I love it when the little children come and, and say something to you that they've learned. Um, I was blessed and now, oh, there she is. Brianna came to me between services and we were visiting and I, and she said she wrote down notes, uh, during the service and, and keeps notes about things that are said. And I said, well, what did you write down? Did you learn anything about charity this morning? And she said, I don't know what charity is. And I took my piece of paper and I said, that's what I'm going to preach next is what is charity? I was excited for her because she asked the question, what is charity? the innocence of a child just asking a little question can get you excited and i just I blessed her for that because it's it's a great question to ask amen <clears throat> love charity bears all things you know to bear something is to put up with something it's very closely related to long suffering it is what you're doing right now as i finish my preaching it's not easily tired it's not easily run down by uh by the fact that this person continues to do this thing that offends and annoys me, even though I might have told them about it in a Matthew 18 sort of way because I couldn't take it anymore. Um, and, and yet they're doing it again. Bearing all things is not easily tired of it, even when those things that come to you are overwhelming or um, are particularly difficult. You are sacrificially loving your brother or sister when you overlook them and bear those burdens and bear those griefs that come along. And remember the goal of charity. Let's come up out of this mire for a minute and this difficulty and think about what our goal is. We have unity in the bond of peace. We have perfectness in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a bride without spot or wrinkle when we practice charity. That's why these things are important. And we're almost done with them. Love, charity, believes all things. You should trust the words and actions of somebody as far as you possibly can until there is great evidence that what they are saying is not true or uh, what they were doing was not with the best of intentions. Believe that it was. Believe all things. And don't worry, when believing doesn't work, you have the next one, which is hope. Even when you can't believe it, in your intellectual mind, you can't believe that they are really doing this without any malice of forethought. You can always hope. When you're struggling to believe, hope can help. For we are saved by hope. Right. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what, a man see, for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? The context of that is the resurrection, but the reality of it is you can't see what their intentions are, so you can hope that their intentions are good. You can't see it, but you can hope. And lastly, if you can't hope anymore, you have to endure. And so believe all the things. Believe is the best way to start, and hopefully you don't get to the endure part. But endure all things means that you're going to persevere in the work of all the griefs that the Lord allows to come your way and all the burdens that come your way because you're empathetic with your brothers and you're striving for charity and peace in your church and you want to grow more and more in brotherly love persevere, endure all. It can be done, and God will give you the strength to do it. And lastly, he says, charity shall never fail. I like one aspect of that. One way to read that is charity will never fail. If all else fails, love, because you can't use the, the hammer of Scripture anymore. You can't use that to, to bash somebody into, into believing the truth. You can't uh, correct somebody into being, uh, good to you all the time. Whatever it might be, charity never fails. I like that aspect of it. Paul is really getting across, and we sang it a little bit earlier in the, in the song Charity, that everything else, including faith and hope, are going to pass away. We won't need faith when we're in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What faith does that take? We're standing there face to face. Thank you, Lord. What hope do we need anymore? We've already been resurrected and we're in our new bodies. That hope is past as well. But charity's still there. Right. Charity is still there. It is the greatest grace that we can have. Charity never fails. Some say that love is the answer. And what they mean is in the flesh. Jesus Christ says love is the answer and it never fails. And if you will define it by the Bible, I will bless you. We have true charity defined by God's Word. God's Word is not man's Word. God's Word does not follow the pathways of man. When we fulfill charity, we fulfill the royal law. We fulfill the golden rule, and we keep the second greatest commandment. If there was one uh, phrase in the Bible that, that I love the most that has for a long time... Been one of my uh, favorite short phrases is Jesus said, "If ye love me, ye will keep my commandments." That used to excite me because I used to run around thinking, "See, she's not think she's not keeping his commandments. He's not keeping his commandments. He's not doing it. He's not doing it." Then I pointed it back at me and realized I wasn't doing it. But God said, "The second greatest commandment after loving Him is to love your brothers as yourself." That's the second greatest commandment. If you want to prove that you're a child of God Amen. and that he's your husband and that you are worthy to be his bride, then you will practice charity out of, a, out of a heart with zeal for the Lord that will bless not only yourself but everyone around you and it honors and gives glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. So put on charity, which is the bond of perfection. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.